From National Securities Corporation, it's the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, where we discuss insights and trends from an investment banking perspective with the investors, corporate leaders, and other stakeholders participating in the industries that grow, process, and market the food that we consume. I'm Ivan Saval, and I oversee the Agribusiness and Food Coverage Group, providing capital markets and financial advisory. All podcast episodes are for informational purposes only and are not to be construed as a solicitation of securities. Any thoughts expressed by myself and or our guests are solely our own and are not those of National Securities Corporation. On today's podcast, I'll be having a conversation with Kevin Schwartz, the founding partner and CEO of Payne Schwartz Partners. Kevin, thank you for joining me. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I think uh, a, a good place to start our conversation is if you could discuss your background, how you became interested in the ag sector, and how you got started. Uh, sure. Well, maybe I'll start from the beginning. I actually grew up in Moline, Illinois, uh, which is in the Midwest and, and known uh, largely for being the world headquarters of John Deere. So my father and other members of my family worked for John Deere, and I had a lot of exposure to that wonderful company growing up, uh, grew up surrounded by cornfields. So at a, at a young age, you could say I was um, significantly exposed to, to agriculture just in my family. Uh, I went and studied at the University of Illinois and actually studied finance and accounting. And that took me into investment banking. So from University of Illinois, I went to work at Goldman Sachs in, in New York in investment banking and had the opportunity there to work with some private equity clients and thought it was a fantastic opportunity to uh, move to the investing side. And uh, so in uh, the late 90s, I entered the private equity uh, industry initially with a firm called American Industrial Partners, uh, briefly with a firm called Fremont Partners. And uh, in the early days of uh, what was then called Fox Payne, joined my current partner, Dexter Payne, uh, as an early member of the team at what was, as I said, then called Fox Payne. Uh, we were at that time a generalist private equity firm investing in middle market companies, healthy degree of complexity in what we did, and a thesis-driven approach to finding good opportunities. And it was really at that point that both Dexter and I started to develop a, a real active investment focus on food and particularly agribusiness companies. I think Dexter's first deal in the ag space was in the mid-90s. Mine was in the early 2000s, and since that period of time, we have really evolved over the last decade or more to a sole sector focus on investing in food and agribusiness globally, uh, both driven by uh, what we see as uh, a private equity industry broadly with lots of capital availability and the need to create sustainable competitive advantage in an area of focus, and also the incredible size and attractiveness of the agribusiness industry, which is dramatically underpenetrated from an institutional capital perspective. You know, it's something like eight and a half percent, nine percent of total global economic output, only about one and a half, two percent of private equity deal volume it actually occurs in food and agriculture. Yeah, it is actually astonishing just how under capitalized it is from the traditional private equity side there has historically been a lot of investment activity on the strategic side so the strategics doing deals together right 
Um, but regardless of the structure, there's probably uh, an undercurrent of a similar theme that threads all of your prior and potential opportunities. Can you talk a little bit about that thesis? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really where it starts for us and, and where it has always started for us is, is to be thesis driven. And, and we've created um, really now embedded processes, both formal and informal, for creating the investment opportunities. They're driven by a few key themes, one of which is the need to increase productivity in the value chain for the production of agricultural commodities and food. Uh, another is uh, the change that's occurring in diets around the world. There's a greater consumption of protein as well as fresh fruits and vegetables as wealth increases. And the third is really health and wellness, the kinds of choices that we have the ability to make in the developed world around, again, predominantly health and wellness. Those high-level themes drive where along the food and ag value chain we want to deploy capital. Mm -hmm. And for us, if you think about the value chain from the farmer to the consumer, we're very upstream oriented. We want to be investing in companies that have products and services that are creating either increased productivity through yield or waste reduction on the farm. We want to be involved in the distribution of those products to the farm. In the case of production, we want to be invested in high value more specialty-oriented crops, or in very low-cost production of broadacre crops. We're also uh, highly focused on value-added processing and ingredients. Where we tend not to spend as much time is in the infrastructure, trade, and wholesale part of the value chain, which is dominated by large multinationals with very low cost of capital, and also all the way down at the branded consumer products end of the value chain where, quite frankly, there are many attractive businesses, but also many private equity firms trawling for opportunities. And we see that as a very efficient part of the market. Um, so that's the map of what we do. The process is one that we've invested in heavily for more than a decade. So we've done almost 60 discrete research projects to identify segments of the value chain in which we want to invest. We go offsite as a firm two times a year. We have what we call strategic offsites. We work for months in advance internally on deep dives in segments of the value chain. We translate those research projects into deal flow by obviously turning on the network that we've built over 20 years of investing in the industry. And every single one of the 15 platform investments that we've made in the ag space. We've invested more than $1.7 billion of equity in agriculture now over more than a decade. All of those investments have been generated through our, our deep dive process and then activating the network to go pursue proactively. It's an industry segment that you, you first of all, you need to understand the complexity along the value chain. You need to understand where rents accrue at a very granular level because that changes by commodity, by geography, by cycle. And you, you need to proactively source opportunities in what is a very fragmented and largely privately owned industry space. It's actually quite interesting that everything was found through your internal process. So these are, these are proactive ideas that you brought to the industry and then 
manifested through your relationships. And it often takes years to create the actual investment opportunity. You know, we've mined segments of the value chain for years and not found the right actionable opportunity. In other cases, in many cases, what we'll find is a rich vein of opportunity in a particular segment. So fresh produce is a, is a good example. We've made investments from seeds. We invested in a company called Seminus, the largest fruit and vegetable seed company in the world at the time in the early 2000s, exited that company to a strategic buyer. We invested in a processing business in produce called Sunrise, which yep. again, we exited to a strategic buyer. We have uh, a mission to create value for our investors. Sure. So in Australia, as an example, we have an investment in what is now a publicly traded company. It was a 50-50 partnership with a 100-year-old family company, the largest fresh produce grower, packer, shipper, marketer in that geography a company called Costa Group. And uh, currently in our pipeline, uh, we're working on another opportunity uh, in the value chain related to high value produce, things like berries, avocados. And, and what you see is, is that for us, mining that segment for opportunities over what will be more than a decade has created a number of discrete investment opportunities, but all based on the same body of, of underlying research and, and uh, you know, proactive uh, work that we've done to, mm -hmm. to create those opportunities. That, uh, that leads me to believe uh, that you probably have a pretty good idea of where trends are shaping up upstream and upstream agriculture. Can you just sort of talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the trend side and where opportunities might be taking shape? Yeah, I'll try to speak to this at a, at a high level. Sure. And I think it's important just to note, I'll caveat what I'm gonna say by, by saying that our, our mission is to drive private equity level returns on a risk adjusted basis and avoid direct commodity exposure. We have an incredible focus on diversification where we are participating in production oriented assets or that part of the value chain. And that allows us to drive results that are independent of what the broader commodity markets are doing. Having said that, uh, it's important to understand the macro environment in which you're operating to understand where the rents are accruing in the value chain. And I just break it down for simplicity into two categories. You've got broad acre crops, and it's very clear that for the last three or so years, we've been in a down cycle in broad acre crop commodity prices. That's put real pressure on farm incomes. That's put pressure on the folks that supply farmers with inputs and has catalyzed things like some of the mega mergers where you've seen Bayer and Monsanto coming together, ChemChina acquiring Syngenta, Dow and DuPont merging. Uh, there, there, there is stress in that part of the value chain, ultimately driven by uh, lower farm income levels than we've seen um, in recent periods. We don't see a near-term catalyst for that changing a whole lot. What we see is that there has been a stabilization at the new normal broad acre crop commodity prices. And I think the house view here at Payne Schwartz Partners is there, there really is, is uh, only a supply side shock likely catalyst for, for changing that dynamic. We don't see a near term demand dynamic changing where broad acre crop commodity prices are as a general comment. Yeah. So we think it's a new normal we're investing accordingly. I think the other bucket of opportunity, which is a huge bucket of opportunity, is specialty crop and high value crops. And those price dynamics are independent of where corn and soy are. 
and quite frankly, vary by crop and geography. And we see those value chains as incredibly attractive for investment, not just upstream and downstream of production, but in some of those cases, directly in production. It is, it is possible in high value crops to generate private equity returns through the production segment of the value chain. Yeah, I think that uh, th those trends are spot on with what I'm seeing, especially okay. on uh, the new normal. I mean, if you can't make money as a farmer today at $3 corn, you're going to be in trouble. I mean, there's no expectation from the conversations I've been having that it's going to go up much, especially as you go further and further local. Um, the key issues I'm hearing today, there's two key issues, trade and human capital. Uh, can you talk about how those impact your business and, and how you sort of weave those into your philosophy? Sure. We have a global approach to investing. So uh, our focus is on uh, acquiring companies or investing in companies that are headquartered in OECD countries. But it's a global portfolio from U.S. to Europe to Australia, New Zealand. And almost all of those companies operate themselves internationally. Agriculture is, by definition, a global industry, and, and to your point, uh, trade flows are critical. There are uh, strong production regions that are not necessarily where the bulk of consumption exists today. There are imbalances globally, and that creates, quite frankly, a significant investment opportunity. So one of the things we look for are derivative investment opportunities, not in the form of a structured security, but as an example, high-level protein consumption in China growing rapidly, how does a US-based private equity firm participate in that maybe without going and buying a PRC entity? Right. Well, one way is we invest in a company called Scanbio, which is based in Norway, takes the waste stream from the processing of seafood in Norway and converts that into a valuable feed input, marine protein input, into displacing the need to harvest wild anchovies and sardines off the Pacific coast of countries like Peru. So a sustainable source of a key feed input to produce protein where the demand exists uh, in scale and, and, and growing, for example, in China. Very interesting. So the, the displacement, how, how do you think that's perceived in the marketplace? Do you foresee large entities that you're displacing sort of starting these types of enterprises and creating competition or? Well, how do you see that? So the business we invested in is, is the largest processor of this marine waste stream in, in Norway. Norway is one of the few places with enough concentration and volume to create this business model. Um, but the product is perceived incredibly positively in the market. The, the nutritional characteristics of the product, the profile of the product, which is fish meal, fish oil, and some higher value um, protein-oriented ingredients derived from, from those raw materials is the most sustainable source that can be uh, blended into, into feed, both for aquaculture and for terrestrial livestock production. So the, the perception of the product, the demand for the product is, is significant. The volume of it in comparison to what's being harvested wild today is obviously quite small. And the growth in the demand for marine protein ingredients is growing rapidly. So there's, there's uh, right now, in, in that particular company's case, uh, not a demand issue. Supply is the constraint. And that company is looking at geographic expansion to take that model to other 
areas of significant seafood harvesting and processing. Well, how do you, there's a lot of movement, you know, seafood is getting a lot of headlines today. Um, I think if you think of livestock today, you need to put seafood into that. Um, it's certainly a growing area of interest for investors. Uh, are there any other segments more upstream that, you, that, that you're looking at, especially on the sustainable side? Well, look, it's a hard one to answer concisely. Sustainability is a huge focus for us. So let me start strategically. As a firm, we have uh, adopted uh, ESG policies and we audit ourselves on those policies. We think it's important to be a good steward of both capital and an investor in the food and ag industry that sustainability is a core part of what we do. The selection of our companies that we invest in is also based on, in, in many cases, uh, their own sustainability metrics. And I could give you a lot of examples, but I'll just give you one quickly. We have an investment in a business called Verdesian Life Sciences. That is a plant nutrition company, provides inputs to farmers that they put on their, their crops that increase yield. But importantly, the products dramatically increase the efficiency by the plant that they're growing, whatever that is, it could be a, a tree crop, it could be corn, of the use of major macronutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus and significantly reduce the farmer's need to apply large volumes of nitrogen and phosphorus, either mining the phosphorus, and that's a finite resource, or in the case of nitrogen, producing it, burning the fuel to produce it, and then obviously, in many cases, over-applying it. You have the environmental issues with runoff, nitrification that result. So Verdesia not only sells the farmer a product that generates between a five and 10 times ROI through yield enhancement, but also reduces their need to apply large bulk fertilizer that causes environmental issues. And I could take you through the portfolio and give you almost example by example. Th th that's really a core, a core theme of ours. And it's, I think it's fundamental to, to a farmer's existence. A farmer makes his living off the land. Yeah. If the farmer doesn't farm sustainably, he doesn't have a long-term uh, source of income. Well, fascinating conversation, Kevin. Thank you. Before we uh, wrap up, is there any topic that you thought I might have brought up to discuss uh, that you'd like to discuss now before we conclude? I don't think so, but I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, and I enjoyed the conversation. Good. Well, thank you very much, and I look forward to finding ways to do business with you. Thanks. This discussion has been brought to you by the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, sponsored by the National Securities Corporation, a full-service investment banking firm, member FINRA. Please stay tuned for future conversations with leadership in the agribusiness sectors. If you have comments and questions, please feel free to reach out, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you, and here's to next time.